Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 267. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Cody Safdick's on the line. And Matt, the producer, is doing all the sweet cuts behind the glass. I say behind the glass, but it's really behind, like, a wall in Pat Mayo's basement. Eventually, we're going to be in our new studio. That will be good times. But, uh, Cody, how's it going, my brother? Good, my man. Good. Happy to be talking fights. As always, we got 15 fights, so I know we're going to jump right into this one. And also, we're probably going to waste our time talking about a couple fights here and there that actually end up getting canceled. But all the same, we'll do our best to break through it. We do have a PFL on today. So uh, just, yeah, fights never stop. Thankfully, Contender Series got us back in the win column yesterday. Top ticket, top tip tickets. That's what I'm always looking for. And then beyond that, we need the bounces. This is a 15-fight card. So as always, looking to hit those top two tickets. But at least we've got a lot of material to work with to fill out, you know, who's going to be the rest of it. You know, every week. Well, not every week. We've had a great run of luck, but, you know, it just takes that one person to make that one mistake. At least with 15 fights, hopefully we can filter out the best that we can. And a pay-per-view. So, I mean, this is big-name fights, good quality of opposition. The lines have been steamed, but they're steamed in the right direction. So, I think as far as parlay goes, we should be able to make a couple safe ones anyway. I mean, that's why it's good to have you on the line because, you know me, me and you have a little bit different styles in terms of how we bet. And uh, I look at cards like this, or I look at like the PFL offering, and it's just like when I see so much chalk, it makes me makes me nervous because there's certain sides that I want to be on. But you know, I'm always I'm more, I'm very careful with my with my selections. Obviously, had a good week last week. Went uh, five for five on my picks. Uh, can't really complain, but uh, you know, luckily, luckily got that uh, that Trinaldo Grandpa T comes through in the clutch. Oh, got really man, worried that that, that, that eye poke was uh, was a little bit terrifying. I thought it was probably going to end up being a draw, and nobody scored it a draw. So I mean, sometimes sometimes the judges are on your side, sometimes they're not. Anyway, main event: Jan Blahovic takes on Glover Teixeira minus two ninety. Blahovic plus two thirty for a Glover Teixeira last title fight for Glover Teixeira 2014 against John Jones I imagine most people didn't think the old the old uh, warhorse would get back to this position we've been backing them at some pretty good dog prices all along the way on this winning streak they got him back to the title spot here I can't help but think that Jan's going to, that Polish power is going to crack the chin. We're going to see the problem. We've always basically, with Glover, we've always kind of avoided. I mean, we were on him against uh, Tiago Santos, and that one even got dodgy, right? It's like Santos connected a couple times. Glover was stumbling all over the place. The chin can be compromised. I think over the course of five rounds, Jan's going to crack that chin. Jan, by knockout, is my pick. I know a lot of these main events recently have been going five rounds, but none of that stuff is really connected to each other. I think over the course of five rounds, eventually, Polish power gets the best of uh, Glover Teixeira. So I see DraftKings Sportsbook got it at plus 100. Jan Blachowicz, plus 100 by knockout, is my play on the main event. What about you? Dude, I couldn't agree more, man. We've been riding the high of Glover Teixeira, but unfortunately, I think that that train may have at least temporarily come to a halt. <clears throat> he was even money against Carl Roberson. What? And there's another spot, actually, where he's this close to being knocked out in the first round. Travis Brown-style elbows to the side of the head. He's basically out. <clears throat> Thankfully, Carl Roberson can't grapple, so he gets the victory at even money. Ion Kudalaba. Well, Ion Kudalaba has no gas tank. He hits us for another one at even money. 
Nikita Krylov, well, you see, Nikita Krylov can't grapple and doesn't have a gas take. So even money pick, Glover takes Sarah. Then they go and they give us two to one plus money status versus him versus Anthony Smith. And again, with Smith, it's like he has a, a, the grappling advantage and a durability advantage. And then, of course, the fight with Tiago Santos has that grappling advantage at the very least. So in that five-fight winning streak, another dog ticket there. So he's cashed three times as an even money play, twice as an underdog, always fights for our dollar, has to, had to overcome adversity three times because it was twice in the Tiago Santos fight, <clears throat> once in the first round, once in the third round. It's like he's, he's there to grind. He's there to fight for your dollar. This is a world title fight, second time around for him at this stage in his career. He knows he's got to go for it. So why not back that underdog one more time? But again, it's been that grappling advantage and a durability advantage that's largely carried him. And I just don't see those same advantages as against Jan Blakovic. I mean, Jan's a, not only a BJJ black belt, but a solid BJJ black belt. Defensively, he's sound. Offensively, he's sound. He's, you know, him and Glover are about the same size, but Glover's been able to rely on the fact that his opposition's got weak takedown defense, whereas Jan's got pretty solid takedown defense. As far as, you know, early that weather storm and take him into deeper waters, like he's got an excellent gas tank on him and he's really coming into his own right now. If he proved the world wrong in that Israel Adesanya fight, I think since then you're really seeing Jan get comfortable all over the place and be a legitimate threat to the second best guy at 205 pounds, not named John Jones. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but so it, the longer this fight goes, I think it's still, Jan's still going to be in it. The early this fight goes, Jan's still going to be, he's got the punching power. He's got the grappling to hang with him. He's got the cardio to hang with him. He's got a cast iron to hang with him. I just think like you said, pro fight, Jan's eventually to pull into his wheelhouse. Where I do agree, uh, disagree with you is I don't necessarily think that Jan finishes him. Like, Jan's the kind of guy that does take his time. He's not going to rush a finish by no means. We do see his last couple of opponents he's able to put away. And we see you know, he, he does have finishing ability. But traditionally, he's kind of more of a decision guy. And I see the over-under set for this fight at two and a half. I, I want to hit the over at that two and a half price. As far as does it go the full five, Maybe not, but I wouldn't be as confident as saying, oh, Jan inside the distance. Like, I got Jan, but I could also see a where Jan just wins four of the five rounds and wins a unanimous decision as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair completely. I mean, Jan by decision is plus 300-ish across the market. Um, I, I'm not going to be stunned if I lose it. Is this going to be, like, a massive play? No, it'll be when I list my plays, it'll be a small play, Jan by KO plus 100 or whatever I get at that time. Um, by the time I uh, post that bet, but, uh, but yeah, no, am I going to be stunned if I lose? No, but it's not going to be like a massive, massive play that, you know, hinges my entire card betting on that, but that will be my play in the main event. Uh, over two and a half is, yeah, it's pretty much 50, 50 minus 115 on both sides. DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm not going to be stunned if it goes over. I'm not going to be stunned if it goes under either. Like, Jan hits hard. We've seen the Polish power uh, so many times that, yeah, I, I just feel like if I bet like Jan by decision and it takes like two punches, I would feel like a complete mook. Um, yeah, that's so, fair. That's yeah. fair. And I, it could. The writing is potentially on the, like the, <laughs> we've seen Glover stun so many times. Sure. I think yeah. this is the opponent to put him put him out. Um but yeah, great. I mean, this entire card is an embarrassment of riches. It's just a matter of, you know, kind of playing playing the prop game from my from my betting perspective is going to be really important. Moving on down, we got Peter Yan taking on Corey Sandhagen for the bantamweight title of the or I guess the what, interim bantamweight title of the world. 
Um, Peter Yawn, minus 235 favorite. Corey Sanhagen can be had, 4 plus 190. Who you got here, bud? Yeah, it should be the full title. I think everybody agrees that Peter Yawn should be the champion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, bonehead decision through the illegal knee. And unfortunately, in 2021 and 2020, in this day and age, I guess I should say, people still throw that knee. Don't understand why. But that one mistake cost him an otherwise beautiful performance. And again, if you rewatch it, it's not like it's a walk in the park. He doesn't just cut right through Aljamain Sterling. He faces a ton of adversity in the first two rounds. Aljamain's way faster than him. He's got the output. He's, he's clean. He's moving so well. It's giving Peter Yan fits. But this is what Peter Yan does. He's a terminator. You know, people would argue that Jose Aldo was doing pretty good in the early going against him as well. People would argue that Jimmy Rivera was doing pretty good against him in the early going as well. But, I mean, he just keeps coming. He doesn't stop. The guy does not stop. He just keeps coming. He's the terminator. Uh, cardio for days, striking for days. And then the little thing that's going unnoticed, I think, is he's got legitimate wrestling, mm-hmm. man. I mean, if you look at all of his fights, he mixes in the wrestling at some point. It's not against schlubs. Seven takedowns over Aljamain Sterling, who was giving them up. I'll, I'll give you that. But still, next before, fight before that, he took down Jose Aldo. Two takedowns over Uriah Faber. Takedown over Jimmy Rivera. Two takedowns over uh, John Dodson. Three takedowns over Douglas Diandraj. So actually, he scored takedowns in the last six fights. Most of those are actually decorated wrestlers and solid grapplers and top-end opposition. And he's able to get those fights to the ground. And when Corey Sanhagen, as talented as he is, and I love me some Corey Sanhagen, the kryptonite's still there. You can take this guy down. So if Jan engages him in strictly a striking battle, it's going to be close. It's going to be close. Mm -hmm. But why not just mix in that takedown every so often to secure the deal? Now, a lot of people cried robbery against TJ Dillashaw. I I bet Corey Sanhagen, I thought we lost. It was the takedown, you know, it was just that little bit extra because otherwise this is a closely contested striking battle. And as far as how does TJ Dillashaw match up with Peter Yan, honestly, I think Peter Yan's better everywhere. I really do. I think he's a better striker. I think he's more durable. I think he's got better pace. And uh, as far as the wrestling goes, like, yeah, on paper, TJ's the collegiate wrestler and this and that. But what you notice against Sanhagen is the longer the fight goes, not that TJ was getting tired, but he abandoned the wrestling just because he knew well, he didn't really abandon it. I guess he just wasn't having as much success the longer the fight went. Whereas Yawn doesn't need to just rely on the wrestling. He can just mix it in and go right back to the striking stay in mm-hmm. your face. So this is a pretty good line as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it is my opinion, the champion defending his belt for the very first time. And he's, you know, leaps and bounds the best guy in the division. Whereas Sanhagen, extremely talented, just figures to be a step or two behind. So... Uh, I would suggest maybe trying to bet it live. You might better get a better price if Jan takes his time and loses the first round like he's been known to do. But <clears throat> honestly, he could come out and look like a million bucks right at the get-go as well. Could, so yeah. just I'd rather just take him right now. He's probably going to be parlay material. And I wish it was this was the main event because then it would give me a good opportunity to just hedge out right at the end of it. Instead, it's co-main event. So I'm going to have to have certain tickets that obviously don't have Blockowitz on the top of it so that I can at least, I don't know, it doesn't really matter how you set it up. I'm just saying Peter Yon's one of those trustworthy guys that if he loses, okay, it would take a Herculean effort, right? It would take some magical shit that is just beyond our control, Paul Shaughnessy, but we can guarantee that Peter Yon will go out there and perform to the best of his abilities. And that's saying something. Yeah, I don't really have any very much to add to that. The only thing I will say is, yeah, playing it live, it's like, yeah, that's all well and good. What if Jan comes out and gets a takedown immediately? 235 is gone at that point. It probably moves up to minus 400. So, I mean, I see a lot of people taking the shot on uh, on Sanhagen. And I think they're kind of thinking that this is just a, a stand-up affair. And if it is a stand-up affair, Sanhagen throws more more volume it's there that has been like the one problem with peter yawn in some of his fights 
is that he he calculate he's so calculative when he's in there takes his time finds his best pay, uh, place to attack that like he'll kind of hang back and he could give up some rounds that style but if he's mixing in those re uh, the wrestling early and often i think uh, i i agree with you fully i i think peter yan is the side here moving on down we've got islam makachev taking on dan the hangman hooker hooker coming in on relative short notice for this scrap makachev minus 650 hooker plus 460 i mean obviously islam is habib's brother a brother from another mother uh his protege I feel we used to get so much better prices on Habib throughout the entire run. Like the books have really caught up on the Dagestani knuckle game. And it's, it's annoying because like you know, Hooker is a super, super tough, durable striker. But this is going to be a wrestling match. Um, uh, the only the only thing like we're it's lucky, lucky punch territory. It's exactly what caught uh, Makachev in the only loss of his career. That's the only way I see Dan Hooker winning this fight. Um, the question becomes, does Makachev get him out of there? I would probably lean towards Makachev by decision here. Just, you know, uh, Dan Hooker hasn't uh, hasn't been subbed, at least recently. Hasn't been subbed, I believe, in all of his career. Um, and uh, we always talk about with Islam, his he doesn't really have like that, like one hit or quitter power. It's more like if the, his opponent is like gassing out or if it's just like it's the build of all of that damage from top control or or finds a submission or whatever. Even against what Tiago Moises, who's a fourth round submission. This is only a three round fight between the two of these guys. Uh, I like Makachev to win over two and a half rounds is minus uh, minus 160. Makachev by decision is my official pick. What about you? Yeah, I'm feeling the same thing. I mean, I, I would say if you want to look at level of competition, Dan Hooker is fought the far better guys. And as far as experience goes, Dan Hooker has it. But this is a singular contest. And a lot of the thing with Khabib, if you you remember, because you're his biggest fan right from the get-go, but a lot of the narrative would always be like, well, he hasn't beaten anybody good. And it'd be like, well, then get, give him somebody good. It would be the same result, right? So that's what you guys would say. You guys have turned out to be right. Makachev is the same thing. Like he hasn't really been fighting top five, top ten level of opposition. He just looks so good doing it. You know, in particular the fights with Drew Dober and Tiago Moises. Drew Dober's like a top. Oh, I'd say he's top ten. I actually really like Drew Dober, but Tiago Moises is a fringe fifteen guy at absolute best. It's the fact that he just goes out, he gets his takedown, he's very methodical, he doesn't gas himself out, he doesn't overexert himself, and he just has full control when he is on the ground. You know, we've liked guys in the past like Murad Ravashvili that goes out and gets 10 takedowns. You know, Tim Elliott, prime Tim Elliott, go out and get 10 takedowns. Well, see, these guys, they're so good. They don't, they don't only need three. They only need four takedowns at most. Because once they do take you down, it's suffocating. With Hooker, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's got that puncher's chance. Not only is it a puncher's chance, it's that knee up the middle. That's what I'd be most worried about. He's a tall, lengthy guy. He's thrown that knee to greatest success. Knocks out Jim Miller. He's got a knockout win over Gilbert Burns. He is a dangerous guy. When you consider the pace and just the absolute beating he put on Dustin Poirier for two full rounds, it's like this guy is a very he's, – he's a talented fighter. But again, you got to look at styles make fights. And in Hooker's case, they've given him a lot of strikers. Nazareth Hackross, striker. Michael Chandler can wrestle, but prefers to strike. And by the way, knocked out a minute, two and a half minutes in the first round. Dustin Poirier can wrestle. But again, these are strikers. Felder, striker. Ally Quinta, striker. James Vick, striker. Edson Barbosa, striker. Gilbert Burns, grappler. 
but not a wrestler, certainly. And so, so you can look great against strikers. And he has these gutsy fights, and him and Paul Felder, they're bleeding, and him and Edson Barbosa, oh, what a war. He takes a shit kicking in. Like, but those are, it's, it's all striking. You haven't actually seen him again, a suffocating, Dagestani, handcuff type fighter, and he's about to get one. So <clears throat> I agree with the Makachev call. Uh, I go back to Hooker's never, he's only been knocked out one time. And that's Michael Chandler. Oh, he's been knocked out twice, but Edson Barbosa roasted him to the body, you know, and then Michael Chandler chin checked him. But his chin and his durability has historically been very, very good. And you're right about his submission game. I remember this kid's UFC fight was just like an absurd amount of damage. Like, and I thought that he was going to be ruined after that, just like the amount of punishment he took. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to get that in. He's actually 11. Yeah, he's 11 seconds away from hitting the over two and a half in that fight. Like, he fought for your ticket that night. Mm -hmm. He just got his ass completely kicked, right? But he's got great durability. And then, yeah, I remember his UFC debut against Ian Enwistle. Enwistle is like eight and one, seven of his eight wins by first round leg lock. Like, he was a submission specialist. He got all the positions he wanted. Hooker just rolled through everything, kept cool, kept calm, got on top, TKO'd him. He's one of these cool guys under pressure. But he's not actually fought any good grapplers outside of Gilbert Burns who he knocked out quick. So, again... If Nazara, or sorry, if he gets in a bad compromising position versus Islam Makachev, could be, but I think he's durable enough as well. So if I'm trying to get a better price on Makachev, I too do go for that um, Makachev by decision. And as far as the over two and a half, yeah, I'm taking that over. All right, moving on down, we got Alexander Volkov taking on Marcin Tybura, minus 310 Volkov, plus 245. Tybura, who you got here, bud? Well, Marcin Tabor is another one of these guys that we've been fortunate to ride a wave, like a resurgence from him. I mean, he wasn't really very sought out after. And I remember the word on the wire was like, he's probably going to get released from the promotion and he's going to go back to KSW and fight in Poland. He looks very disinterested. And then it's as if he's sitting there down on his luck and he sees Jan Blakovic go out and win a world title. And it completely changes everything. Poland's first, now joining in JTEC's Poland's first champion. But to see... To see this moment, Jan started off bad in the UFC. What was he, two and four through his first six fights? And he was a gatekeeper, and he wasn't getting these good these shots, but you just keep improving, you keep getting better. And their runs actually coincide with one another. And if you look at Tybora, he just stayed ultra active. He fought four times in 2020, beat Spivak, got right back in there against Max Christian, right back in there against Ben Rothwell, right back in there against Greg Hardy. The Greg Hardy fight beating, and old Marcin Tybora, he would have folded over. Marcin Tybor, he rolled with it, man. He survived the first round, came back in the second and put an absolute beating on him. And then Walt Harris, I don't know why they put Walt Harris in these fights, man. Dude's on a four-fight winning streak. Why is Walt Harris here? You know, like, I don't know. Does nobody have any sympathy for Walt Harris? Give him a winnable fight, goddamn. But again, you see Marcin Tybor walk right through him. And then it realizes, you know, he's 35 years old. That's not overly old for heavyweight. He's basically in the prime of his career right now. He's got good striking as far as heavyweights goes. We always talk about him killing Victor Pesto with that head kick. Do you see how fast he can snap that thing up? He's got good kicks, decent from range. But the lot of this run has been caused with his own ground game. He likes to smother guys up against the cage, force his fight to the ground. He needs to do that against Alexander Volkov. As good of a striker as he may be, Volkov's just way too damn long. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the apex, right? This is full-size octagon in Abu Dhabi. There's going to be lots of space to work with. Volkov just chews him up at distance. He's going to chop him to the body with a straight front kick. He's going to land the jab over and over, and he's going to look to time overhand right over the top of the guard. But if Tybura can just smother him up against the cage, kill time off the clock, and potentially get this fight to the ground, Tybura then becomes a live underdog. So mm-hmm. I am going to take Alexander Volkov. However, through the first three fights, 
I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. The first four fights, I think Ty Bora is the first underdog that I would really consider if I was chasing underdogs wildly because of his ability to potentially get this thing to the ground. But yeah. this might be a better live betting opportunity. We're just watch, watch how the first round starts to progress. Is he getting chewed up at distance or can he close it? Can he Does get he a hold seem, of him? Yeah. Does he seem scared to close distance and get a hold of him? Is he struggling to, you know, is, is his footwork struggling to cut off corners and, and so on and so forth? I, I totally agree with you. I think 310 on, on Volkov is, it's the heavyweight division on top of that. It's, it's a little bit risky business for sure, but uh... it's, it's yeah, yeah. Especially if you would consider, oh, geez, Alexander Volkov holds the UFC record for most times taken down by heavyweight at fourteen, right, against Curtis Blades. But this is only a three-round fight, so you don't need to get taken down fourteen times. If Marcin Tiboro scores three takedowns, that could be enough to persuade two of the judges on two of the scorecards, right? Mm-hmm. That's all you need. It's these close fights. Is the fight going to end up being a greaser by decision? If so. It'd be competitive. And if it's competitive, do you want the three to one guy? Probably not. So if we do end up playing Volkov, we're moving him, we're moving him down. I do respect what Tybor brings to the table, and he's uh he's coming into his own right now. All right. Moving on down. The king is back, Cody. Hamza Chamayev. You know, he had retired because of COVID for a, a very, very short period of time. I was a little bit worried about him, worried about his health, but he's back in business. The books know, but I mean how can you really fault him? Uh, Hamza Chamayev, minus 575 favorite. Jing Liang Li can be had for plus 410. Um, I didn't really love, because uh, he was supposed to take on Leon Edwards. And I thought that was maybe one of those like cases of a little bit too much too soon. Because, I mean, uh, Leon Edwards is just, he's fought all those fights. He's already, you know, ra- 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 rose to the top of the mountain. He's so technically sound. Uh, his his control or his distance control on the feet is excellent. He was uh, Hamzat was still a favorite, but I was like, that's it's a tough fight. It's a tough fight this early in his career. I, I'm not gonna waste too much time for anybody here. Neil Magny took down Jing Liang Li two fights ago. He took him down four times. It's a smash, full out smash incoming. Hamzat Chamayev, um, he'll take him down at will. And probably finish him. It's it's a weather. I mean, the over under is set to one and a half rounds. It's it's a real dicey fight from a betting perspective. I think the the money line is probably the way to do it. Because um, inside the uh, you know Jingliang Li is super super tough, but we're talking about levels when it comes to these two guys. Now, the, my problem with Chamayev is that you know. Uh, the inside the distance is like minus 175. So maybe that's the way to go about it. But like he can mix in KOs and submissions so well that it's like, it's hard to like pick a certain side. Like Jan Blachowicz probably is not submitting Glover Teixeira. That's why it's easy to go Jan by KO um, when you're hitting props like that. Um, Hamzat, Hamzat smash. Um, I would be pretty stunned to see him lose this fight. Yeah, you know what? As ridiculous as this statement's about to sound, getting COVID and taking a year off, probably the best thing that could have happened to Kamzat Chimaev for Kamzat Chimaev betters because we were getting out his prices on this guy, Paul. He was becoming unbettable. I mean, this fight with John Phillips, he's a minus 500, bettable. Rizmi Key, minus 1,400, not bettable. Him versus Gerald Mearshart, 6-1. to one. He was moving up to middleweight to take on a, a decent middleweight. 
you knew he had to either take on guys like Leon Edwards or they were just going to give you awful, awful prices. And I think had he not taken this time off, had he not gotten sick, had he not, you know, claimed that he was going to retire from the sport. And you know what? It's not even just like he got COVID. He's one of those guys that is big on lingering effects of COVID. He's known for his cardio. Imagine you had Khabib Nurmagomedov, his exact skill set, everything about him, only he only had two rounds of cardio. Would he be any good? Well, he'd be a good three-round fighter. Would he be a world champion? Nah, wouldn't be able to fight those five rounds. Big thing on Chimaev is pace, 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 pace. So you would hope that he's fully recovered. But yeah, I, I would say that the only reason you're getting a, a less than five to one price tag on him, or sorry, less than six to one price tag on him is because of the layoff. Because otherwise, I think he just walks right through Jing Liang Lee. And it's no disrespect to Jing Liang Lee, what he brings to the table as far as being a striker. Yeah, good striker. It's man, this is on a striking battle. Comes out Chimaev can strike but he's looking to take you down and you're right about neil magny 100 the four takedowns in that fight magny did an excellent job just grinding him when he could take him down great when he couldn't he just grinded him up against the cage and had a ton of success magny's also one of these long guys so he loses leverage very well and chamar is the same way he's got tons of leverage he's got like a long lanky frame for the division at 170 he's even better than he was at 185 in my opinion you know he's big he's strong should be all good. But for Jing Liang Li, he's got a 59% takedown defense ratio in the UFC. And it goes back to styles make fights. Santiago Ponzinibbio, striker. Magni, grappler, four takedowns. Zaleski Dos Santos, striker. David Zawada, striker with a bit of jiu-jitsu, certainly not a wrestler. Dachi Abe, what? What? Where's that guy? Check it out. Not doing good. <laughs> Anyways, he was a Japanese striker. Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews, not a wrestler, and yet he, he did the same thing. He just took him down, took him down at will, grinded him. Jing Liang Li had to resort to finger blasts in his eyes to get out of a guillotine choke. Like, yeah. those guys are taking him down. This and the then below that, sure. Yeah, Anton Sevier took him down. Bobby Nash took him down. Frank Camacho took him down. And then he's fought a lot of non-wrestlers. Well, yeah, you know what? Chumayev's likely going to take you down. When he does take you down, he's likely going to have a lot of success. And he's able to do it for three rounds, right? So yeah, this is just such a stylistical, perfect matchup. The only one thing that could cause is if Chimaev can't take a punch, right? Because Jing Liang Li is a heavy banger. They call him the leech. He's got one of those gas tanks that, you know, he'll get tired, you'll get tired. It gets sloppy. He prevails in those sloppy exchanges. But it's going to be hard. He's going to be on his back for the large part of it. He's going to be getting grinded for the large part of it. And I can't tell you that Chimaev can't take a punch because he's unevaded, right? No one's been able to really do anything to him. Uh, he trains with some of the best guys in the world day in and day out in Las Vegas. So, yeah, I'm going to assume that he's good in a lot of those areas. And uh, if those assumptions go properly, then we we got our all-Russian ticket for sure, I think, with Peter, Jan, Islam, Makachev. Uh, oh, man, you know we're going to go with Ankalaev, who we'll talk about in a second here. But Kamzat Chimaev, you know, Team Russia is looking to have a good time in Abu Dhabi, let me tell you. And this oh, yeah. isn't like Russia, like the Bellator card, which, by the way, why not just spam bet the Russians on that card too? Like um, that Fedor Tim Johnson shit, man. Tim Johnson threw 15 punches all to the body. Like he knew if he hit Fedor in the head and Fedor happened to topple over. So he made sure to keep them low and keep his chin right up in the air. In this case though, I don't think there's any foolishness going on. I think generally these proper favorites, tough Russian opposition, elite level opposition. And I expect most of them to roll through. UFC 267 action is live in Abu Dhabi this Saturday afternoon, and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, has a knockout offer for the light heavyweight title bout. 
New customers can bet just $5 on either fighter and win $200 in free bets if they do. Will the champion retain his belt or will the veteran from Brazil snatch it from him? Bet just $5 on the UFC 267 main event and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Throw down just $5 on the UFC 267 main event and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code DOP this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the UFC. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Moving on down the curb, we've got Magomed Ankalaev taking on Volkan Uzdemir. Ankalaev minus 310. Uzdemir can be had for plus 245. What do you think here, Code? Okay, so yeah, we're going to have to go with the Russian again. Team Russia, I think a lot of them are in a very good position to smash. But I will first and foremost admit with Magomed Ankalaev, I'm fully sold on him. I think he does everything excellent. He wrestles very well. He's a good pressure fighter, good cardio. Um, we know he can strike. He's got a good submission game. Like he's, he's very much the well-rounded package. You and I have actually been talking for a while now that like, if not for John Jones, this guy might be the best light heavyweight in the division. He just never gets the big fights in the division. He gets the tough fights in the division. But, you know, I could honestly see another world where he's fighting for the belt. You know, he's as talented as Glover Teixeira. You know, he could give Jan Blachowicz a, a run. He just doesn't have the name built up yet. But if, as much as I like to praise the guy's name and I'm high up on him, the, the one thing is, like, there's a lack of volume. Like, when he's on his feet, he is p- pinging the precise shots. He's picking up the big shots. But he's not one guy that's going to go out there and wow you for, uh, for the most part. As far as being on the ground goes, not big ground and pound. Positionally sound. Hold you down. You're not going to go anywhere. It's smothering. But again, when you look at a lot of his fights and by the numbers, it's usually in that like mid to 40 strikes, uh, significant strikes land. Whereas Volkan Uzdemir, he does have decent enough takedown defense, which has a career percentage of 80%, but he's got better volume and he's got big, big heavy hands. So with Ankalaev, as much as sometimes these Russian fighters that have a big wrestling and grappling advantage choose to strike a little bit too long, I just want you to smother him up against the cage. Take that first round out of him. Volkan will start to tire. He's only first fight in a year. First fight after a major knee injury as well. And he's only had two fights in the last two years. So push him, push his gas tank, right? Press him up against the cage, tire him out, seek takedowns. And then in the second and the third round, you won't have to worry about no time, Volkan Uzdemir. It'll be a more tired, pronounced, lethargic version of Volkan Uzdemir. He should be able to work around. So I get Ankalaev, but uh, at least when you're talking about light heavyweights and a guy like Volkan Uzdemir, you need to pre pre-realize or at least you know come to the conclusion of he could be an apple pie shitter kind of guy he's got big power he's a big boy you know he could be a bit of an x factor but again i've never bet against ankalaev and now he's not gonna do the first time i couldn't agree more i said right after his last fight that and some people were like unimpressed by his last fight i think like the striking is on point with him the wrestling is on point with him this guy's got all of the skills and on any given night i believe i tweeted it out after his last fight on any given night this guy, I think, can become the UFC light heavyweight champion. So I'm not jumping off the Mega Med Ankoliev train, uh, probably ever, to be perfectly honest. I think he can beat Jan uh, on his best night. Now, I think, you know, it would be an interesting fight. I'm not saying it would be a complete smash, but I think Ankoliev may be the best in the biz 
um, now that John Jones has went running. Probably because he saw Ankoliev rise in the ranks. I'm just kidding. Half kidding. Um, moving on down. We've got um, Amanda Rebus taking on Verna Jandiroba. Minus 165 Rebus, a plus 145 Jandiroba. Both legitimate black belt in BJJ. I think the, the line is probably close to correct here. I think Amanda Rebus's ability on the feet and her speed of getting in and out of the pocket will be the difference maker here. I got Rebus winning probably by decision. What about you? Yeah, similar thoughts. I think that if I was going to take that first underdog shot, it might be an averted Jandranova. Again, I think she's got the wrestling advantage. I think she's got the grappling advantage as long as she can land in top position. It just comes down to the big striking differential. But one thing you did notice, Verde Jandranova in her last couple of fights, is that her striking looks actually a lot better. Mackenzie Dern fight, you know, as bad as it is, she lost to Mackenzie Dern. But still, you could see the progress where it's like, okay, she's trying to add a different wrinkle to her game. And then the last time out against Kanako Murata, I mean, Murata had the wrestling advantage. So she put a solid beating on her, dropped her multiple times, stung her a bunch of times. You really do see that, okay, she's not just that one-dimensional fighter anymore. So with Amanda Rebus, as fast and talented as she is, you look at her career wins, they're soft, man, soft wins. I mean, last victory was over Paige Van Zandt. The win before that was Ronda Marcos, who still, even though she just won, still currently has a losing record within the promotion. Mackenzie Dern, that turned out to be a big flop. Emily Whitmire, did I say big flop? I meant the biggest of the flops. So she's won against very low level. Against Marina Rodriguez, she came out and looked awesome in the first round. Secures the takedown, wins the first round. Second round, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, she's tired. She's not moving all that well. She gets chin checked. So Verna's not Marina Rodriguez and Verna's not likely to go out there and TK or standing. But if this ends up being like a grindy grappling affair, Verna's strong man. she could theoretically get the takedowns, establish a little bit of top control and have some success. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise I would actually agree with you. So I, I, I would say this is probably a pass, but I can't say that uh, Rebus is not going to have her opportunities. Minus 165 is probably fairly according, but that's my take. Not a whole lot of uh, vindication either way. All right, we got Zuby Tehugov taking on Ricardo Ramos, minus 165 Tehugov, plus 145 Ramos. I feel like this may be like the first little dog shot. Zuby's not, he hangs out with all the guys that I like, but like the game is just not, the wrestling pressure ability, top control just isn't quite there. I mean, I, I guess with anything anytime this guy fights you gotta like watch out for the scales because he is definitely a liability to miss weight on the night of the fight i feel like uh, ricardo ramos showed in his last time out um that his wrestling ability is definitely much improved eight takedowns versus bill aljo i know a bill aljo is pretty easy to take down but ramos is like one of these guys who was he was a, when he was a prospect and he was up coming through the ranks. And when I watched like his regional level tape, you, I saw a lot that I liked from him. Um, I think this is probably more of like a pick 'em type of situation. So I'm leaning towards the plus 145 on Ramos uh, to get the job done. What about you? Yeah, I gotta feel like I want to go as to Hugov, but you nailed it, dude. He's very untrustworthy. I mean, he, his wins, split decision went over Felipe Nova. He looked awful in that fight. The Hanato Moicano fight, he looked awful in that fight. He was big favorite as well. Warren Murphy, oh my god, dude, you 10 aided him in the first round and then gassed out and lost two and three. That's the knock on him. Where a lot of these Russian guys can wrestle for a prolonged period of time, Tuhugov can't, and he knows that. 
So he's not chain wrestling like them. He's not striking like them. He's very conservative. And that conservative approach usually leads to these close split decisions. He's had four of his last five fights have been split decisions. So yeah, and you're right, dude. Why not bet against him if you can get underdog money the other way? Chances are it's going the distance. Chances are it's going to be close and competitive. And chances are he's not going to quite do enough. But on this card in Abu Dhabi, if anybody's getting the bounces, it's Team Russia, especially the inner core group Team Russia. So he's got that going for him. The other thing with Ricardo Ramos is, yeah, taking down Bill LJ is one thing. Taking down Tuhugov, different story. Different story altogether. And so with Ramos, he killed Bill LJ, right? But then looking back at it, it's like it's another case of the takedowns are what bails him out. Because otherwise, he gets outstruck 76 to 53 by Bill LJ. The fight with Lerone Murphy never gets going. You know, he's kind of a low output guy. The fight with Journey Newsom. Who the hell goes 15 minutes with Journey Newsom? But still, three takedowns, 40 significant strikes landed. There's just not enough output out of him as well. So if this ends up being two low-output strikers in a 15-minute contest with a few takedown takedown mixed in either side, I feel like it's going to go towards Duhugov. Just again, the confidence level is not where I'd like it to be. If it's a close decision, I hope they end up giving it for him, but yeah yeah this it'd be lower on the priority list because i do i do realize what ramos brings to the table and beyond what ramos brings to the table is to hugov is a little bit of a letdown he's not one of these russian machine type fighters no. and those inner circle guys as you mentioned they they all look the part and are the part he seems to be at least half fraudulent in comparison but i think good enough to go out here and get the victory that's all fair all right moving on down we got albert Durayev taking on roman kapolov Durayev. Looked amazing on uh, Contender Series, and they're making you pay the price for it. Minus 335 for him, and plus 260 on the underdog, Kopolov, who got submitted by Carl Roberson in his UFC debut. There was an eye poke and all of that, but, I mean, that's a tough scene. What we saw from <laughs> Albert Durayev, he looks the part. I think he's already 33 years old, so it's like the time is now. He's got to keep busy, get busy if he wants to climb the ranks in the UFC. And I believe he's what, like a like a top training partner of Sean Strickland? Like, got to be some serious, serious wars going on in the gym. Am I wrong about that? Am I thinking of somebody no, else? Dariah yeah, no, is Dariah's full-time, full-time Las Vegas, and he's working with Chamayev as well, Jake Shields, Chris Curtis, Alexander Gustafson. Like, it's a stacked room right now. Yeah, so this guy is, I mean, he looks the part. He's got the beard. He's got the wrestling top control. Um, absolute dominant performance against Kyle Bittencourt on the Contender Series. Guy looks legit. Guy looks legit. Uh, I, I wouldn't be stepping in front of the train, especially against a guy who got subbed by a kickboxer, so... The price is steep for a contender series guy, but I think this is a legit contender series guy showing up on the scene. What about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So we actually got Albert Duraev as a minus 400 favorite against Kyle Bittencourt on the contender series. And people said the price is too steep, but this guy looks good, man. And he's one of these Russians that is already a multimillionaire. So he's not competing because he, he needs anything. He's competing because he just wants to. He wants to win. He's well-connected. And the biggest knock on him was... He hadn't fought in three years when he fought Kyle Bittencourt on on uh, the Contender Series. Yeah, he was an awesome former ACB champion. He had fought at 170, uh, 170 and 185. You know, big, strong, good guy, Sambo specialist. Gets you to the ground. I mean, nasty ground game, nasty submission game. He hadn't fought in three years. And you're right, he's 32 years old now. So 
the gap between 29 and 32, not huge, but what's he been doing? And for a guy that's already wealthy enough, like, has he been training hard? But yeah, no, he looked good to go uh, against Bitten Court in Contender Series. Smashes right through him, first round finish, takes no damage. UFC immediately signs him, and they immediately announce him against Alicio DiCirico. That one's a little more interesting because DiCirico at times is a durable guy, and maybe Derive doesn't have any cardio. He has fought once in the last three years, it lasted three minutes. So you need someone that's going to go out there and extend him and have decent cardio. DiCirico, decent cardio, somewhat durable, interesting. In comes short notice Roman Kopilov, and that's a huge red flag, dude. He hasn't fought in two years, right? So talking about layoffs, well, he's got a hell of a layoff as well. Of those two years, he pulled out of, I believe, yeah, he pulled out of the Tom Breeze fight, got rebooked against Sam Alvey, had visa issues, got rebooked here. Just hasn't been doing much, but he used to fight for Fight Night's Global in Russia. Kopilov looked good. This guy is going to go out there. He's a banger. He got some decent cardio. He's fighting a decent level of opposition. I was excited about him when he signed to the UFC, but it's the same shit. He signs to the UFC, pulls out of a couple fights due to injury, pulled out of the Jocko fight, pulled out of another fight, finally takes on Carl Roberson. Didn't look like the guy in Russia, Paul. He looked slow. He looked plodding, lethargic, scared to get hit. No takedowns. No takedown defense. He got taken down by Cole Roberson. He got outstruck by Cole Roberson. He gassed out and got submitted by Cole Roberson. It was about as bad as a performance as somebody could have. And then he furthermore took two years off. So none of that bodes well against a tough guy like Albert Gurayev, who figures to get the takedown early and put a beating on him. And even if Kopolov's able to survive that initial onslaught and tire Gurayev out, he's going to be tired himself. His gas tank's just not, not enough for me. It's not deep enough for me. So... Yeah, I got to go with Durayev. He's another one of our Team Russia guys. He's taking on another Russian guy, sure, but uh, he looks to be the legitimate of the two. We got Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos taking on Benoit St. Denis, minus 225. Zaleski, plus 185. St. Denis. Uh, St. Denis seems to be a, a bit of a submission specialist. I watched some of his highlights and stuff. The, the stand-up looks pretty herky-jerky, a little bit stiff. Uh, Zaleski, the problem with him, so much talent, so much ability. Um, the, the spinning kicks and, and the, the high-risk techniques are, are on point. He's got legit BJJ skills as well, but the volume sometimes gets him into big trouble. It seems like ben, uh, Benoit Saint-Denis just going to kind of march forward, and I think that Zaleski is you know just going to be multiple classes ahead of him in terms of the stand-up but uh yeah i mean saint denis undefeated for a reason maybe he's got like a mutant level durability and and he wears zaleski down i i just don't love playing zaleski at my minus 225 just the volume just is never there i think he's more talented than um that you know his record suggests or you know, some of his wins and losses even suggest like the talent is all there. It's just he's just never had a high motor and it makes me nervous at minus 225. But I think he gets the job done and, and, and comes through here uh, as a favorite. But minus 225 on him. It's just not getting me. It's not getting me out of bed in the morning. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I could have to agree with uh, as well. It's a bit of a steep price tag. But that being said, I feel like Zaleski de Santos is rightfully so the favorite. I mean, not only does he have the big UFC experience, he this is. 
He's had effectively one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. This is his twelfth time fighting in the UFC, and Benoit Saint Denis making his debut. So experience, we know for sure, is Lesky Santos. In terms of level of competitions, Lesky Santos has actually fought a lot of mid-level guys, but I mean, he shows a win over Sean Strickland with a nasty win. Wins over Amari Akhmedov, win over Lyman Good, a win over Max Griffin, who's on a complete tear right now. Um, that, that that's all good for business losses to jingling Lee Muslim Salikov. Good guys. Last time out split decision lost. You know, so as far as experience goes caliber, yeah, hundred percent is Lesky dos Santos, but this comes down to striker versus wrestler. So Lesky dos Santos is going to chew him up standing. I mean, it looks like Benoit St. Denis is extremely hittable. You made a good point, herky jerky, and that's it. He's robotic. He's just stiff and rigid. What he does excel in is he's a very strong guy. He's good in the clinch and he's going to try to muscle you to the ground when he does muscle guys to the ground. He has a ton of success. And that's a staple of guys that are from Bulgaria top team, right? They're very strong in the clinch. But uh, you watch Contender Series. So what was this? Two weeks ago, was it Bagdasarian versus the guy from Bulgaria top team? Mm-hmm. It's the same shit there, dude. That guy that guy had a significant wrestling advantage, but he couldn't strike for shit. So what happened was he actually he pressed Bagdasarian into the cage real solid three or four minutes, got a takedown out of it. But unfortunately, that was it. And when they were forced to strike for some period of time, he's too hittable to be getting hit by a guy with that kind of power. He tired out. He's so used to having his way in the regional scene that when somebody posed some resistance to him, it gassed him out. That's how I see this one going as well. I think Benoit St. Denis is going to have a little bit of early success, maybe take down Zaleski dos Santos, maybe press him up against the cage. But the longer this thing goes, he is going to start to slow down and he will start to fatigue. And Zaleski dos Santos, a guy with 12 fights in the UFC now, use that veteran craftiness. Keep this fight standing the best you can if you can't tire him out. When he's tired, create space, create space, knock him out. And I think he should be able to do that, but... Yeah, again, I mean, I'm not super high and confident in a lot of these undercard spots because you can definitely recognize the danger the other way. But not very often does guy making UFC debut come in and stunt guy with 12 fights in the organization, legitimate wins, better striker. I think he is also a BJJ black belt in case the fight does hit the ground. And if he had fought the eight guys that Benoit St. Denis had fought, what do you think his record against those guys? He had killed them too, right? Yeah, of If course. Benoit St. Denis fought the same guys as Lesky to Santos fights, couldn't honestly, I don't know how good of his wrestling is. We're going to find out come Saturday afternoon. It's like a super early card, I think. Uh, we'll find out come Saturday afternoon. These cards are messing me up, dude. PFL's on afternoon show. Very strange. Um Bellator, they were in Russia, so it was an early start time. Now we got UFC on, and it's an early start time. Sleep schedule's all over the place. But as far as this fight goes, you're going to have to go with the rightful favorite, Lesky, uh, Zaleski de Santos. Sounds good to me. All right, we got Shamil Gamzatov taking on Michael Olachechuk. Mikey O, plus 120 as an underdog. Shamil, plus, or minus 140. What's your take here, bud? Let's go with the underdog shot. I know we've teased it a few times and just not had the cojones to actually pull the trigger, but I don't really care for Shamil Gamzatov all that much. Um, he's 14 and no, he shows a nice undefeated record, but he's one of those, you should see it all the time back in the day. They're, they're come from Russia and they get brought in American opponents with big names that they just feast on. They stay in Russia, they feast on these guys and it looks good. And it builds up this resume of like, this guy's a scary Russian fighter. That's kind of what he did. He hung out in Russia until eventually he comes over to world series of fighting Teddy Holder, that's a low-level win, right? Rodney Wallace stretches him to a split decision. He looked like shit against Rodney Wallace, of all people, right? Eddie Chuck Gordon, washed-out UFC fighter, not a very inspiring unanimous decision. Rex Harris, split decision. Then his UFC debut against Klitson Abreu. Klitson Abreu fanned out fast. He turned out to be a mega fraud, not good. And yet, that's a close, competitive 
split decision. Since then, he's just pulled out of a number of fights. He has effectively not fought in two full years. His, you know, when we talk about Russians, Paul, we love the Russians that get that takedown game going. He don't have a takedown game. He just marches forward. He's a pressure fighter. Only his striking's not good enough. His volume's not good enough. His power is not good enough. His last what? Hasn't finished anybody since Teddy Holder six years ago. Not inspiring in the slightest bit. And, and then his last thing is his cardio is god-awful, which is why a lot of these fights aren't very good. He doesn't overexert himself, and then he still seemingly gets tired anyways. With Mikey O, as disappointing as he is at times, he's 26 years old. He's clearly very talented. He just makes a lot of bonehead decisions. And he has a limited gas tank as well. But he's actually faster than Gamzatov. He's sharper than Gamzatov. He roasts the body better than anybody in the division. He's going to have a lot of success, success standing. Pressuring him, tiring him out, taking him down, all good stuff. All stuff Gamzatov doesn't do. So, yeah, honestly, if this is a dogger pass, I'll finally take the lean towards the dog and take that plus 120 on uh, Mike Yeo. Yep, that may, I see a lot of people taking that shot. Mikey O breaks my heart. I mean, oh, that oh. I couldn't believe that. Like, I think I was on the under two and a half against Modestus Bukakis, and I was on Ola Shashuk by knockout, and like that was a piss poor performance. So, I have trust issues with Mikey O right now. Um, not sure if I'm gonna get there, but uh, if you don't like Gamzatov, I mean, it seems like the the evs are a lot better than the ovs on this card yeah uh, as you go yeah, through it this yeah i week. don't see that very often no i mean the the game the game is changing the evs are you gotta be you gotta be worried about the evs these days all right we got uh larone murphy taking on makwan amir khani larone murphy minus 310 favorite amir khani can be had for plus 245 uh, memory does not serve me correct right now. I'm trying to re- remember who Maquan. Maquan kind of got screwed in this spot. I remember tweeting about it. Maquan was Kirk, supposed yeah. to take on. Oh, you mean yeah. He was supposed to take on Tristan Connolly in this spot. Supposed to take on Tristan Connolly. I mean, your boy. But uh, yeah. that seemed like a much, much easier matchup for Maquan. Um, you know, he's going to have some, probably some, a little bit of height. Um, I, Tristan Connolly is a very, very solid grappler in his own right, but does not carry the striking ability that Lerone Murphy has. But Lerone's another one of these guys. I think Lerone gets through this matchup pretty good, but you go through his fights and it's just, he's very composed, but he's just not throwing very much volume. Um, I'm not worried about, if this if, if Maquan can't get this fight to the mat and dominate from top control, which I think he's going to struggle mightily to do because Lerone Murphy's wrestling, very, very underrated, he's going to get picked apart on the feet. Um, Lerone Murphy is the pick, but he just doesn't throw too much volume. Um, so it's not like it could probably seem a little bit closer by the stats at the end of this fight, but like Maquan's striking just isn't anywhere near the level of Lerone Murphy. So Lerone Murphy, Lerone Murphy, probably by decision because Maquan has some mutant level durability pretty much for most of his career. The cardio fails him usually late in fights, especially if he's really pushing for it. But I thought Maquan kind of got screwed in this spot because this is a hell of a lot harder fight. He's probably going to be a slight favorite against Tristan Connolly, whereas now he's a three-to-one dog pretty much with his job on the line. So Lerone Murphy gets the job done. But, uh, yeah, what's Lerone Murphy by decision 
would probably be the way to attack this one, which at DraftKings Sportsbook is Jerome Murphy by decision plus 165. That seems like the way to attack it to me. What about you? You're going to have to agree in a lot of spots. What I think the best choice for myself personally is to bet this thing live because a Macron Americani doesn't usually get blown out right off the get-go. Um, he's got 10 fights in the UFC. His last nine fights, he's taken down his opponent all nine times. Took down Camuela Kirk five last time out, Barbosa three. Danny Henry took him down. Took down Shane Burgos three times. Chris Fishgold, Jason Knight three. Arnold Allen four times. All of his fights, he completes takedowns, and they usually come early. He goes out there, he shoots the early takedown. You guys are both strong, they're fresh. He completes it. He spends maybe a little bit of time on top control. You got to make him work, and that's what a lot of these opponents do. They keep working from bottom. Now, all of a sudden, it gets back up. He's got to shoot another takedown and another takedown, and once he fatigues, he just doesn't have enough stand-up. Like, his striking is not terrible, but it's a lot of just you know rinky-dink type striking, kicks from the outside, jabs from the outside, no real substance, no real power. Yeah, he knocked out Andy Ogle with a flying knee once upon a time, but those days are long gone. There's just not enough pizzazz behind his striking. He eventually needs to get these takedowns. The longer the fight goes, he struggles to get the takedown. Striking's not enough. He's losing these fights the longer they go. Fully expect Leroy Murphy to win this fight, stretching it out. He's going to have a difficult enough first round. Second and the third round, that's when he'll start to see him stuff the takedowns a lot better. That's when you'll start seeing him land the better strike. So Murphy kind of looked... Douglas D'Andrade gave him a run in the last few minutes of the fight. Like Murphy's cardio wasn't great. It wasn't as good as I thought it was, but all good learning experiences. The Tahuga fight showed that his cardio is pretty good. And ring IQ seems pretty good. And let's be real. They were trying to set up Lerone Murphy with bigger fights. Like they're trying to move his career along. It's just for one reason or another, uh, he keeps getting these late cancellations. So on one hand, I know what you're saying. Mac Wanamir Connie drew a much tougher opponent. On the other hand, so did Lerone Murphy. He's supposed to fight Charles Jordan, who's god-awful. And now he's taking on Maquan Amir Khani, who yeah. actually knows what wrestling is, right? Where Charles Jordan is very unfamiliar with what that concept is. So it's a different fight for both guys, but I feel like Lerone Murphy will eventually take over down the stretch. I don't want to pay the 3-1 to one money line for him, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. You're going to bet him. You're going to bet him by decision to improve it. But I think I can just improve it by waiting three to five minutes. That seems fair. That seems pretty smart. Um, yeah, nothing really add to that. We got Andre Petrovsky taking on Yao Zhang Hu. Uh, minus, minus 235 Petrovsky plus 190 Hu. Uh, Hu, I mean, we've been waiting for this uh, 185 debut from him. He was what matched up against Alan Amadovsky twice. Amadovsky re- uh, removed due to uh, COVID protocols, and then Amadovsky withdrew. Uh, from the rematch that was supposed to be run on this very card. Um, uh, he looks like a totally different person at 185 pounds, but at the end of the day, he's a three and two fighter who showed good, pretty good durability, but got really muscled around and didn't show too much skill when he was at heavyweight and light heavyweight. Uh, moving down here, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big, big, big drop down but i mean andre petrosky you know coming off of the ultimate fighter i think they enjoyed the look but like that fight during against michael gilmore like i was not like he got the finish in round three but it's like he that was a much much closer fight in the first couple rounds that i think we all kind of thought that petrosky was just gonna absolutely roll 
get the finish. You know, people were betting Petrovsky round one. Gilmore looked like a complete slub on the uh, on the Ultimate Fighter, and it, it became a little bit more of a fight than I'm than I'm than I'm comfortable with. The problem with like you know back in the underdog and who here is like it's you're basically betting on this kid's made a whole ton of improvements. He's going to be absolutely massive at the weight class, and he's going to be a totally different fighter than what we saw like what three years ago. It's a it's a tricky spot. All I will say is that I'm not very interested in in laying chalk on Petrosky until further notice. After seeing the just the, some of the struggles that he took on against a, a Gilmore in that spot, so it's a straight up pass for me. If you had if you put a gun to my head and made me bet on this fight, I guess I would take the underdog shot, just in a hope and a prayer that uh, that who's put on some uh, he's put some skills together. So that's that's my that's my thoughts on this one. What about you? Yeah, after seeing UFC 261 and then watching Contender Series last night, and I'm already betting against Jing Liang Li on this card. Yeah, the Chinese fighters have not had a good path lately, man. I mean, they've not been performing in the slightest bit. He actually falls in the same category as all the guys from last night. It's just a narrative. It's like, what has he done lately? I don't know. Been training at the UFC Performance Institute Shanghai under head coach Dean Amisinger. What's that worth? I don't know. None of them have seemingly come out and looked all that good. He's got a striking advantage, I think, over Petrosky. Like, his kickboxing game seems to be all right. And, yeah, he made his debut against Cyril Asker, a heavyweight. He weighed 232. His second fight for the UFC against Rashad Coulter at 205. Now he's making 185. So, in theory, he's gone from 232 down to 185. That's all good stuff, right? He's only 26 years old. Pretty young guy. But this was the Dusty Awards. The UFC was having their annual Dusty Awards. They're like, who are the two dustiest guys on this roster in this division? So it's like, oh, shit. You can't have a Dusty without Alan Amadovsky. I mean, he's 0-2 in the UFC. He's looked abysmal in both those fights. He has not fought in two years. And uh, he's going to get cut pretty soon. It's like, okay, well, who do we got? Well, we got Yazan Hu. He's uh, also 0-2 in the UFC. He gave up four takedowns against Cyril Asker, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hasn't fought in three and a half years. So, like you are saying in the last fight, it's like, oh, it sucks. You, you think you're getting ready for somebody, and then the fight gets canceled, and you get a new opponent. Kind of like that. I'd much rather fight Alan Amadowski than fight Andre Petrovsky, because Alan Amadowski is a one-dimensional banger with no chin. Yeah. And who's a kickboxer? Gives him a passive victory, at least. Petrovsky's not a good striker at all, but uh, the guy wrestled collegiately. He's, you're right, he looks way tougher than he is. Looks like a badass, not quite a badass, but it's a wrestler versus a striker now, not a striker versus a striker. And then seeing that Petrovsky actually smoked Galemore in the first round, it was like a 10-8 round. Then he gassed. He got a terrible gas tank. The second round sucked, but I thought he won. And then the third round, he went out there and he got the win. He smashed right through him. So it looked, it looked like his... Cardio is maybe making a little bit better. Uh, but I think this is a UFC trying to keep the dust award back in intact. You know, well, who's the next worst guy next to this? And unfortunately, Petrovsky, I know he just won a fight in the UFC, but from what he's shown, he's not very good. My whole thing, though, is the fact that he's able to get takedowns in this spot, hold Wu down. He's probably should be the rightful favorite. And I think I would take uh, the small stab on him, but... It's, sorry, it's minus 235. Like, yeah. honestly, uh, this is cranberry sauce at its finest, right? Sure. You have a card full of badasses. Even the first fight, Tigir Ulambekov, are you kidding me? Second fight, Magomed Mustafa versus Demir Ushmagulov, are you kidding me? 
Makwanamir Khani, 10-fight UFC veteran, big-name guy, Larone Murphy, bright prospect. Oma's, uh, Oma Longchuk versus Gamzadov, I don't care for that, but it could be really entertaining. Zaleski to Sanders, always entertaining. This whole card is something to salivate for. <laughs> this fight, Young Zong Hu versus Andre Petrovsky, like, oh, I don't know. So if you're looking to pass, if your book only puts 12 fights on a parlay, not 15, yeah, maybe this is the one you steer clear of. I would take Petrovsky if not for the minus 235 price tag. Just too much for me. That's fair. All right. Damir Ismagulov takes on Magomed Mustafaev. Minus 290 is Magulov. Plus 230. Mustafaev, what's your thoughts here? It's always tough when you're betting a big price tag against Magomed Mustafaev because at any point he's, you know, very explosive. He's got a nasty spinning back kick. He knocked out Rafael Haziv in less than a minute and a half. You see where he's at at his best. As far as his grappling goes, not terrible. Scored multiple takedowns over Brad Riddell, put a good grind on him. But it's, it's too much, you know, one-punch knockout or bust, you know, there's not enough him putting a full game plan together. His ring IQ seems a little bit suspect at times. His volume's a little bit suspect mm-hmm. at times. His, even, even when he was taking down Brad Riddell, the reason why he, I think he took him down eight times officially by the numbers. Eight times The reason why he still, yeah, that was the reason the most... why he still lost the fight is he never did shit with any of the takedowns. They no. were just, Brad would go down and pop right back up. The most significant strikes he's ever landed in a fight was against Brad Riddell. And it was 28 it's just not yeah, that. Yeah. decision so, loss. So if I throw 10 spinning back kicks to the face in a fight, theoretically, one of them could land and knock you out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they don't, there's not enough behind him. And so Demir Ishmagulov, he's very frustrating to a lot of people because they call him boring. He's had mm-hmm. four fights in the UFC. He's won all of them by unanimous decision. He never really looks in adversity. Never really looks like he's in trouble. And he coasts. He's got a nasty, sharp jab. He uses extremely effectively, flusters opponent, flusters opponent, and then eventually takes them down. When he does take them down, smothering top game. And straight up, they gave him Rafael Alves his last time out, and that guy's a banger. Actually did knock him down, but you see Ishmagulov, he's so cool, calm, and collected in there. You don't just get a 23-1 record by fault, you know? That's, it doesn't, I don't care where you fight, who you're fighting, Banana peel price, banana peel price is a real thing. Anything that happened in a fight, that's a very difficult record to accrue. But he does that because he makes a lot of good decisions. Um, Thiago Moines is a big submission threat. Joel Alvarez is a big submission threat. Rafael Alves is a big submission threat. Those guys are all capable of pulling off that one big move to catch him. But you see him just neutralize them time and time again. Excellent cardio. Was fighting five rounds back when he was in Russia. Three rounds suited to him. And unfortunately, the UFC gives him no-name, tough-level fighters. So he's not going up in the rankings. But, I mean, he's, he's to me, he's a bona fide talent. So he's going to keep this fight standing, and he's just going to pick him apart with his with his range, with his jab. If, for whatever reason, Ishmael Gulov decides he wants to go ahead and take down Magomed Mustafaev, I believe he will. And as far as him getting chin-checked with some crazy spitting technique, this guy's real durable. And Alves put him in some nasty trouble. He just snapped right out of it and got right back to doing what he does best. So... He seems like one of those guys that's fairly safe. If he was to lose it's early on the card, you can still rebuild. I don't want to have to rebuild, but I feel like Ishmael Gulov's uh, as good as anybody else. Yeah, I think he, you extend this fight 15 minutes. He's just going to win that volume game. So yeah. Demir by decision plus 110, I think that's a good look. That is a play that I will end up on by the time we get there on Sunday or Saturday, Saturday morning. Make sure you get your Saturday picks morning. out there early, kid. People are going to be yeah, freaking out. Especially people you know on the, what? People I'm glad, on the West I'm glad Coast, they're going to be really freaking out. Because of the PFL out. stuff. Yeah, I'm glad they freaked out because of the PFL stuff because I didn't understand it at first. I was like, man, why are they bothering me? It's only Tuesday, right? But I was like, oh, shit. 
stupid me, I normally watch PFL on Thursdays. Then this year, for whatever reason, the last five or six of them, they decided to put them on Fridays. And then now it's their finals. They've very not promoted this card very well at all, considering it's the championship finals. They're giving away $6 million in championship bouts. Like, are you kidding me? They haven't advertised it. They haven't marketed it. They put it on a Wednesday at 4.30 in the afternoon. Like, who comes up with this shit, Paul? I could not tell you. But yes, I will be reminded UFC plays get them out as early as possible. I didn't realize we were popular in Australia, but I spoke to a couple of guys and like, it would be a big help if you'd try to get them out a little bit earlier. As I always say, hey, if you listen to the show, when we give away the picks, not much changes. A couple things here and there might change, but nothing significant ever really changes unless somebody almost dies in the weigh-ins, which we have seen in the past. Um, but yeah, yeah. Is this first fight going to be the apple pie shitter? Let's talk about that right now, Paul. This first fight on the card, it'll be starting pretty early, depending on where you are. Um, I think where I am, it's 11.30 a.m., I believe, is the start time for this card. You know, that that old Atlantic time. But we have Tajir Ulanbekov taking on Alan Nascimento. Minus 400, uh, Tajir, plus 300, Nascimento. Not going to lie, Tajir, I've wanted to like him because he's one of, you know, one of my boy Habib's. Uh, you know, one of his, one of his fellows, one of his stable mates, one of the kids that he's been, he's been part of the family. They've been rising him up the entire way. But ever since I've, I've seen him fight for all these years and he's got all of those technical skills, but what he seems to really lack, and it's probably because he's like pretty tall and lanky, he really seems to lack like the physical presence that, you know, that Habib had you know, just could completely ragdoll you at any given time. And Makachev, a little bit less than Habib, but he still has a real physical presence when he's grappling. Like, I just don't really see that level of physicality with Tajir, and, and he, it makes me nervous to lay four-to-one price tags. Not going to lie, I don't know all too much about Alan Nascimento. I do see that on his, uh, on, on Tabology, that he... Has a split decision loss to uh, to Rowland Pava, so I'm going to be going back and watching that. But uh, from a first kind of look at this, like Tajir scares me as a four to one favorite. I I don't want to get caught um, when that apple pie gets shit on. And I feel like he has potential apple pie shitter be, uh, behaviors. So straight up pass for me. Yeah, dude, you're not you are not far off, my friend. Tajir Lumbakov was a finance global champion and a absolute beast. He just runs through all these guys super impressive fashion. His long career loss is a majority decision versus Zalgas Zumagulov. Zalgas in the UFC now and a stud. And that is one of the biggest robberies in mixed martial arts you'll ever see in your life. The fight takes place in Kazakhstan and he probably wins all five rounds, if not certainly four of the rounds. He probably scores about 14 takedowns throughout the course of the fight against Zalgas, and they screw him. So as far as I'm concerned, kid's undefeated. Uh, he's 30 years old now, but he's known Khabib since he was, like, 13 years old. There's, like, pictures of them in, like, the mountains of Dagestan training for these, like, Sambo championships and wrestling championships when they're kids. And he's obviously smaller than Khabib. I think he fights now, what, 125 pounds? Yeah, he's a flyweight. Habib's obviously a lightweight, but it's like, yeah, man, he's been right there from the get-go. He's got excellent combat Sambo skills. He's got excellent wrestling skills. He is a Russian guy. Just the one, the ones that we like, the smothering game, got all that about him. Love it. But then he signs to the UFC and pulls out of his debut with an injury. He gets booked against Bruno Silva, who Bruno Silva's tough, but Bruno Silva was 
0-3 at the time. So this was supposed to be a walkover. In fact, Tajir was a minus 500 favorite. He's got the Khabib connection. He's taking on a guy that's 0-3 in the UFC so far and is not a particularly great grappler. This is going to be a walk in the park for Tajir. I'm glad the judges gave it to him, but that was a sweat, man. Holy shit, that was a sweat. He gassed out. He got taken down just as many times as he got take, uh, as he took down his opponent, Bruno. And it was a very close tit-for-tat fight that had the judges scored it for Bruno Silva, I couldn't have cried robbery. I agree that Tajir did win the fight, but he did not look himself. It's what happens after that. The UFC tries to book him against Matus Nicolau. He pulls out due to an injury. They rebook him versus Matu Nicolau. He pulls out again. They book him versus Tyson Nam. He pulls out again. He's actually had one fight in the UFC, and he's pulled out of four fights in the UFC mm-hmm. over a two-year time period. He hasn't fought in a year. He's 30 he... years old, and he looked like shit against Bruno Silva. So you're you're absolutely right. Now, what do we know against Alan Asimeno? Well, honestly, he's gonna he's a shoot-to-box style fighter. He's going to get taken down. He's probably going to lose this fight. However, when you do look at him, he's clean, man. He's clean. He's technical. He's got excellent striking. The fight with Roly and Pava use, loses a split. Roly's pretty decent, but he lands him like 101 to 70 or something, like all over him. It, it just comes down to takedown defense. It don't look like he can stuff a takedown particularly well, and Tagir's going to look to establish takedown. So I, I got to go with Tagir, but honestly – one way to approach this, if you're up at 10.30 in the morning, is it could be a good live betting spot. Mm-hmm. Alan Asimeno almost certainly figures to lose the first round. He's going to get taken down the first round. But if he can live, live through the first round, which is likely, because it's not like Tagir's a potent finisher, survive that first round, tire him a little bit. This kid starts to get sloppy. She must say, kid, he's 30. We're both the same age. Um, if he starts to get tired, if he starts to get sloppy, I could see Asimeno working his way back into it. But I, I just come back to the fact that it's like he's had one fight in the last three years. It was a first-round finish. His cardio could be a problem. His grappling could be a problem. Am I fading to gear just because I don't think to gear looked all that good? And eh, maybe. He still is a good fighter at the end of the day. He still should get the win. It's the first fight on the card in case something goes wrong. Again, you can still rebuild. But in terms of which one of these bonafide Russians is going to shit in the ample pie, to gear's name is on the list. Magomed Mustafa is not one of my guys. Shamil Gamzatov is not one of my guys. I think Durayev is going to go, is going to get the job done. Zubair Tuhugov, potential Russian that could shit in the apple pie. I don't want to say Ankalaev could, but I do respect Volkan Uzmir, what he brings to the table, but I'll stay on that one. Alexander Volkov could shit in the apple pie. And then I think Makachev and Peter Yan are going to roll pretty good here. So I don't think Russians are going to win every single fight on the card, just most of, most of. And we're hopefully going to be on the right side of which ones those are, Paul. I mean, with the Ulam-Bakov fight, the only thing that could be very, very tilting, but they'll probably be giving you the type of price to do it, is that I feel like, I mean, this could be completely off base, but these guys with the beards, like what what was it, G last night on the Contender Series? I made a joke that if his name was Gev and he uh, and he was a Dagestani with wrestling top pressure, he wins that fight twenty nine twenty eight all day long, especially in this uh, in this venue that they're going to be at on Saturday night. So if Tajir just gets some takedowns, who knows? We're in Abu Dhabi. This card is centered around all of these uh, uh, Russians specifically, but then you know, Muslim, Muslim Russians uh, from Dagestan and so on and so forth. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the scorecards uh, go down. But Nasser, yeah, Nasamento could be that apple pie shitter, or he could be the one 
planting the shit in your apple pie. So I'd be very careful at minus 400 because I just, I don't see the upside with Tajir that I see with the Makachevs and, and some of the other guys uh, from that stable. There's plenty, there's, there's so many. Habib's got like a million cousins at this point. Um, and they seem to really love <laughs> yeah. Tajir, but he just doesn't, he doesn't have the physicality that I, that I see in the other, you know, the dominance, uh, like Saeed and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, we're just about out of time here. I, I'll quickly rifle through the plays that I'm interested in right now. Uh, Demir, by decision, plus 110. Demir Ismagulov, uh, by decision, plus 110. Like, the guy's a decision machine. Should be able to have volume. Magomed Mustafa, I have. Chin seems to hold up for Demir. So, I think getting off of that minus 290 and getting Demir, by decision, at plus money seems to be pretty good value to me. Uh, Murphy, by decision, plus 165. Do not hate that just because Amir Khani is super, super durable. It could be really ugly, and you could be sweating in the last... You know, Murphy had, maybe has a chance of like finishing finishing him in round three if like Amir is super, super tired from like failed takedown attempts and stuff like that. But I think it probably goes to the cards. Uh, so Murphy by decision plus 165 like that. Um, Islam by decision. I'm considering that. haven't haven't laid it laid it yet, but I think Hooker's super super durable. The grappling is on point. I think it's going to be a very very convincing, like 30-27, 30-26 type of situation. Islam Makachev gets his arm raised uh, by decision. Uh, Yawn by KO plus one hundred, and then yeah, the parlay pieces I feel better about are uh, Yawn Makachev. Uh, Hamza Chemaev, Ankolaev, I'm riding with my boy, Duraev, and that's it for me, but it's more about you. Hit him with the PRP. We're going to go with Jan Blockowitz. You're going to use him as top ticket material because he's going to set up a great hedge out. Peter Jan's going to be top ticket material. Islam Makachev is top ticket material. They're all very high up. We're going to go with Alexander Volkov. We're going to go with Hamza Chemaev, Magomed Ankolaev. I'm going to go Vernon Jandaroba, dog number one. Number one. I'm going to go uh, Zubert Hugov, Albert Durayev, Aleski uh, Dos Santos, Michael Omolanchuk is dog number two, Lerone Murphy, Andre Petrovsky. Just pass on that one, honestly. We're gonna, you're going to feel so embarrassed if you lose to the Chinese guy. Um, Demir Eshmagulov, you're going to want to improve that price by taking the decision. And then I got to go with Tagir. Likely a Tagir by decision, but we'll just keep it straight up as it is. So, listen, this is a 15-fight card. What are the chances that only two underdogs hit? Probably not great, but keep in mind, these lines are steamed to where they need to be because it's a pay-per-view. It's a big pay-per-view. They've been released early. People have gotten their money on where they want it. They are the rightful favorites. So, the best thing we can do, similar contender series last night, see even if you end up with an apple pie shitter, keep them lower. Snuff it out. Same thing with the, the Nate Landwehr pick from a couple of weeks ago. I am surprised how many people love Ludovic Klein, but listen, he's a three to one favorite. He looks good. Don't just spam the big favorites altogether, right? Let's find out which big favorite stands the biggest chance of shitting in the pie and just move them down. You can still pick them. You can still pick them. Just don't have them as a core piece. You know, as I talk about this, I'm watching Julia Budd of all people. Like, why would you even bet Julia Budd? My God. Anyways, you bet I'm Julia a degenerate. Budd? Yeah, I bet Julia Budd. And again, it comes down to the fact that she's got three pro losses, right? She's lost to Cyborg Santos, Amanda Nunez, and Ronda Rosie. Well, you know what? Not so bad, girl. But every single fight I've ever bet Julia Budd in is never a good time. <laughs> it's always just watching paint dry and probably, hopefully, best case, getting a split decision victory. 
but uh, of course she's getting outstruck by Shayna Young in another relevantly uh but but you'll see because I tweeted out my plays did I have Julia Butt on the top line no that put Julia Butt on the second or third line no by a player eventually it's just you got it oh a takedown back in business should have put her on the top ticket Paul what was I thinking not putting Julia Butt on that top ticket wrestling baby she's you're, um, you're a genius absolute genius <laughs> Those are the flows of MMA is all I'm saying, right? One day you're the man, the next day you're a bum. You can only hope to get back in the win column. And that's what I'm hoping to do here. All right, I'm going to let you get to those fights because that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftik, who's sweating Julia Budd, and producer Matt behind the scenes, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.